Okay, if you have your Bibles, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they will get you one. And as that's taking place, let's pause and pray once again. Uh, God, we ask for understanding, enlightenment, direction. I pray for clarity. I pray, Father, for wisdom as I, I touch on this topic, Lord. I pray you would go before us. And I do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the past few weeks, we've had some heated topics. We've talked about sexual immorality. We talked about sex in marriage. We talked about singleness. And, you know, these are topics that are usually considered personal or sacred. This is our kind of special space, and, and we really don't like people pressing in and talking to us about those things. It's kind of like, you know, when the parents, you know, sit you down and say, we need to have that talk, and you're like, uh, I don't want to have that talk with my mom or dad, you know. It's like, you're going to start talking to me about stuff that's going to make me uncomfortable. I, I want my space. And many times, this subject of sexuality, of marriage, of singleness, and what that entails are things that we don't like to be engaged in. But apparently Paul didn't know that because he had no problem just talking about these things. He just seems to jump right in and start talking about these things. And it, it's been rather, I don't know, difficult for me, if you could tell. I've been squirming a little bit. But this week is probably going to be, has been the most difficult for me as we're talking about divorce. The reason it's so difficult is because I know there are so many people that have gone, gone through so many circumstances where divorce has been a part of your life or in some way or another you have had a divorce, you have had parents who have been divorced, you know people who are being in this area who are getting a divorce and it's a, a a hard thing to deal with. And a lot of times we think, well, you know, I know this, you know, the Bible and the church and you guys, you know, say divorce is bad, divorce is wrong, divorce is bad. Yeah, we know that. You've been saying it since the 50s. Well, yeah, it's been saying it since the original 50s, you know, the, like 2,000 years ago 50s. You know, this is something that has been in the conversation all along. And it's something that we address. It is nothing new. It has been happening, and God's desire and heart about this hasn't changed. But we like to, to change things. And this is the problem. You see, we want to, to live in a more oh, lib liberal Christianity. We, we, we'd like to have a Christianity that allows us more liberties and, and to pick and choose the things that we want. And, and really... What you're wanting is a religious Christianity. You're wanting fire insurance. You're wanting rules and regulations that you can see. And that's not what we want to deal with here. I mean, what we really want to deal with is this religious questions that ask, what do I need to do to maintain the life that I want and still be accepted by God? That's what I mean by a religious Christianity. It's a matter of rules that we set out that we can kind of plot and find loopholes in. How far can I go and still be okay with God? And what we do is change the circumstances to fit our needs. And now we have become 
the sovereign of our lives. We are the ones who decide how we are going to live. And if I can just find the rules and I can adjust my thoughts on these rules to accommodate my life so that I feel okay about myself, so that I can have this conscience that's cleared, well, I know I'm okay, I'm within these bounds, so I'm going to heaven and I belong to God, I'm a follower of Jesus. And those aren't the questions that Jesus asks. The, the gospel questions are the questions that Jesus has been asking throughout these passages that we've been looking at is how can I seek to please the Lord in the short time I have in singleness, my sexuality, and my marriage? You see, these questions are personal. They're not a matter of list of rules and regulations. They're involving us. They're dialoguing with us. They're pulling out of us more, engaging us to, to pursue God with all that we have, with our singleness, with our sexuality, and in our marriages. To have lives that are lived for God. And there's a big difference. You see, the religious questions, they try and find the loopholes. They try and trick Jesus like the Pharisees did. You know, the, the religious questions are, are, you know, well, if we love each other, why do we need to get married? You know, and isn't it better that we divorce instead of fight in front of the kids? You know, I mean, we have these ways of seeing things and just pursuing this kind of conversation. And really, again, what we're doing is we're saying that we want to be in, in charge. And you see, the stakes are really high here because this isn't about you need to make sure you do the right thing, and if you do the right thing, then you're okay. You know, if you don't do the wrong thing and you kind of make sure you're in this bounds, then you're all right. But this is about having a real and legitimate relationship with God where the things that God says have domain in your life. Where what God wants is preeminent to you. So that God says, I don't like this. You say, well, if you don't like it, then I don't want to do it. And not say, well, let me find a way that I can get around the fact that you don't like it and still be okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? The idea, one is religious, I'm going to find the rules and regulation. The one is God speaks and I listen. And you see, the stakes are very high here. I mean, our souls are at stake. This isn't something that's just light and, and fluffy and it, everyone, you know, half of the, the marriages end in divorce anyway. It's no big deal. Well, it's legitimate to have a concern about Jesus and what he says, but a lot of people, what they want is a therapy Jesus. Therapy Jesus helps me to feel good about myself. And that's the religious Jesus. But what we need isn't a therapy Jesus. What we need is a Savior who went to a cross and died for us. What we need is a King of Kings who we will bow our knees to, a Lord who has reign in our life, a God who is able to change who we are and make a difference within us. That's what we need. We need a Savior, not some religious commodity that helps us just deal with our conscience. You know, the old religion that places man at the center of his life 
and whatever God we want to invent allows us to just continue to do what we want, there's nothing new about that. There's nothing new, and it doesn't matter what tattoo you put on it, it's still the same thing. And what we're going to talk about are some hard words, but, you know, I hope that you will listen, because I care about your souls, and maybe even more than you do. I think this is the kind of thing that has a difference, because when our hearts get hardened in these areas, we're not just being disobedient, we're shutting the voice of God out of our lives and saying, I don't care what you say. I want to do what I want. And that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. And so I, I hope we'll engage in this in the right form. And I recognize from the onset, and I'm going to try and touch on these things as, as best as possible, but... I understand that there are so many circumstances involved that it takes hours and it takes days to go through all the various forms and reasons for divorce, and there's no way I'm going to cover it in just 40 minutes. And so bear with my time and what I'm trying to say, but more importantly, I pray that we're receptive to what God wants to say. Because we're going to be asking the Jesus questions, not the religious questions. You know, some of again are going to just want to check out, this is too invasive, this is too close to home. But I hope you allow these things to challenge how you see this. No one is condemning you here. Okay? But really, Jesus doesn't care about what we want so much, but about what we need. And God has given us marriage to make us holy and not just happy. As iron sharpens iron, God is wanting to use marriage in our lives to create this holiness within us. And we need to understand that you really can't be happy unless you're whole, unless you're holy. And so they go together, and it's a really important thing. You know, to start off, divorce is horrible. There's no other way to look at it but awful no one who is coming to get married you know when i sit and talk to people in premarital counseling and they have that gaze of love in their eye they don't say well you know we hope in seven to eleven years to have an awful and horrible divorce no one feels that way no one has that even though half of the marriages end in divorce but it's become something that has been so easy to take place. You know, I, I can remember one time we were in Vegas, and I don't know if it was for our kids' football or it might have been, anyway, we were, wasn't to gamble, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, we weren't going to the clubs and partying, it was, you know, other reasons. Uh, but we were there, and I remember seeing a sign, and it said, uh, divorce under $100. You know, and you're thinking, wow. That's a pretty good deal, you know? <laughs> and you just kind of think, wow, you know? I mean, and it's kind of like when you go to Costco, you know, and you say, wow, you know, look at all that top ramen I can buy, you know? I can buy enough top ramen for a nuclear holocaust, and it only costs this much. And you just start forking out, you know, with dollar bills and not realizing, I don't need this much. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, you can get a divorce. You can just pull up, drive in, sign some papers, and it's done. And so there isn't a depth of, of how important this really is. And so we're not engaged in it to this way. But the Corinthian culture, divorce was also very common. It was very easy. And in a patriarchal society, it was very hard on the women. 
where the men would divorce the women just to get a new wife. And the women would be left without financial means, have to go back to their families, have to deal with so many hardships. And so it was something that was very popular and very common in that time. And, and they're wanting to know, what does God say? How can we please God in the short time that we have in our marriage? Let's look at verses 10 and 11. It says, To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. And what he means there is Jesus taught on this. This isn't just something I'm speaking about. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. And so the Corinthians, as, as they thought about, well, now that I am following Christ and I'm giving my life for Christ, you know, I shouldn't be married anymore. It's, it's a hindrance to my serving God. And we talked a couple of weeks ago, and, and I, you know, we shouldn't be involved sexually because that's a distraction from us serving God. And so maybe I should be single and just you know, have this. And Paul just starts off and he says, listen, if you're married, you shouldn't separate. Wives, you shouldn't leave your husband to serve God more faithfully. Husbands, you shouldn't divorce your wives. You shouldn't think that this is a better deal. This is something that's better for you. Because that's not what he's trying to say here, and that's not the purpose of this thing. And he mentions, I'm not saying this. This is not just me. This is the Lord talking as well. And so I want to look at what Jesus said about marriage in Matthew chapter 19. If you'll turn there, we'll see Jesus' words on this subject. Matthew 19, we're going to start at verse 3. He says, Some of the Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, the religious question, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it is not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And so Jesus is teaching on divorce to to the religious people, those who are wanting to ask the questions, those who are engaged in wanting to know, okay, how? what what about this reason for divorce? Why can't we do this? His reason in talking with them as he talks about this is that marriage is God's design. It's to establish the family unit, and and they are designed to become one flesh. God joins them together. This isn't about the marriage certificate. This isn't about the court. This is about what God does to two people. 
In Genesis, it says that a, a man will leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, join to his wife, glue together, be connected. This isn't a partnership. This isn't like, yeah, I used to have, you know, Jack and me used to go golfing. We used to be golf buddies, but we're no longer golf buddies. You know, we stopped that partnership long ago. This isn't like that. This isn't about some little partnership that's going on. Joined together, it's like someone coming to you and starts tearing your arm off. What does that feel like? You see, this is a part of who you are now. There's a joining together, and we talked about this two weeks ago when we dealt with the intimacy issue and talking about how it is something that is not just physical, that it is indeed emotional, that it connects you in a very deep and powerful way. And marriage is meant to do that, and God has designed it to be that. And see, we have to recognize that God is the one who has put this together. This isn't just something you said you're going to do. What you did is say, I want this to happen. I want God to join us together. You gave your will and said, God, do this. And when you're torn apart in divorce. It's not easy. It's not pretty. It's like something dies. It's like someone killed a part of you. It's like part of you is now missing. There are scars that don't just go away. They affect the character of who you are. And it's important to recognize that it affects you physically. And Jesus said, don't let anyone separate you. They flipped this and they said, well, Moses said it's okay to have a divorce. And what they were trying to do is, you know, it was very popular to be able to get a divorce. And so they were challenging. Again, it said they were trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to get him so that he wasn't so popular. Let's see what you say about this divorce issue because we all like this. It fits our religious ways. We like it because it gives us the ability to do what we want and have that control of our ways. And Jesus didn't allow it. He told them that's not what God designed it for. God put you together to be joined. And then he says, if you leave for any reason except for unfaithfulness, you're committing adultery. Now, a lot of times what happens you get in, into a marriage and you have expectations. And you find out after you're married that that person doesn't meet your expectations. Can you believe it? Yeah, I can. I'm married. You know? You, you grow through this and you, you wonder, where's that guy who brought me flowers? This guy, his body makes noises and he smells. You know what I mean? <laughs> What, what happened to that romance? What happened to those things? You know, all those... Man, he used to be so nice. You know, and you knew her and you saw her. And man, she was radiant. She was beautiful. And now in the morning, you're like, ah. <laughs> Looking, my wife's... I'm safe. Uh, You see, but what has happened is 
you start developing a contract mentality. You know, it used to be 50-50. You give your part, I give my part. But now I feel like it's 60-40. I feel like the contract isn't fair anymore. And so I want to break that contract, not recognizing, no, God has done something here. God has joined us together. And the Jesus mentality is now, how can God change me? Not how can God change her. You know, and, and isn't that what we always pray for? Oh, God, change him. God, make him nicer, make him better, make him more godly. God, change her, make her a better cook, you know, make whatever it is. You know, you start praying for the other person instead of saying, God, change me. That my transformation will be a part of this marriage transformation. Because I have been glued together, you have put us together the only thing I have control of completely in this marriage is me. So 50% of this marriage is under our control. So instead of, God, this is what I want you to do in her life. Oh, this is what, how I want you to do this. And you know, I don't like that. that, that that's a violation of what I, I signed up for. I didn't expect that. I don't like that at all. They're very rude to me. I remember when we first got married, Kareen wasn't used to, you know, how I woke up in the morning. And I wasn't used to anyone being around when I woke up in the morning. And so I was kind of an Oscar the Grouch in the morning, you know. She would go, good morning, honey. Stomp into the bathroom and shut the door. You know, I was just a grouch. And I remember one day she goes, you're very grouchy in the morning. And I said, it's too bad, you're stuck with me. No, I... <laughs> We're unaware of these things, and you see, we have to make the decision to change. We have to want the change, and it's a hardness of heart that looks for religious loopholes to find fault in someone else that gives me a reason to get out. Because you don't have to look hard if that's what you want to do. You can find it. And Jesus does give the one exception. And it's for marital unfaithfulness. You know, marriage is a difficult thing. You have to love. You have to trust to be intimate. You're going to fight. You're going to be upset. You're going to pray. You've got to work things out. This is not TV, leave it to beaver kind of life. This is reality. It's real, it's raw, and it's transforming. And if we are involved in a marriage and we're having difficulties, that struggle and that fight is a part of what needs to transform our lives. And then there's this area of marital unfaithfulness, this exception of adultery, which tells us how significant the sexual relationship really is. If this happens, you have a reason to divorce because what's happened is your spouse has glued themselves to someone else. And the damage of this can be overwhelming. It doesn't mean you have to. I remember years ago, a young lady came in to the office and asked for counseling. She said, my husband's having an affair. I 
talk to him about it. He said he's going to stop. And I asked her, what do you want to do? And she said, I want my marriage to work. And I said, well, you can forgive. You can forgive. And so she chose to. And her husband was unfaithful again. And finally she said, I, I can't anymore. I, I can't live this way because I, my heart is put in this person and they are tearing my heart. And it, Jesus says there is an extent where you have a right not to be put to that abuse. I know of marriages who have gone through marital unfaithfulness and have shown forgiveness and have reconciled and have been glorious. But it's a difficult thing. Because you're dealing with freedom. A freedom to choose. On our recent trip to New York, I like to say recent because it sounds better than my only trip to New York. <laughs> We took a ferry to go and see the Statue of Liberty, and we're going by the Statue of Liberty, you know, and here's the symbolism of, of freedom and liberty. And while we're on the ferry, I, I get a text from a friend who's, I'd been counseling with them, and they tell me that their spouse has been involved with someone else, that they found evidences that they are in a relationship that is now romantic with someone else and that they confronted them and that things got ugly. And so I'm sitting here looking at this Statue of Liberty and this symbolism of freedom and I'm looking at this text and I'm going through this dialogue with them and, and he, you know, here I'm, I'm just being torn inside wondering what, what can be done, you know, how, how can I help them over there? And then as they start conversing with me more, saying, I've had to call the police because things are escalating. And it's getting ugly. And so now the police are involved, and, and finally it comes down to a place where there is just this awful situation with two people who have followed after Jesus. And one of them has chosen to involve themselves with someone else. And time had gone by and there was a repentance and there was a reconciliation and things were going good and I thought, this is great. And I kind of got put out of the picture um, for various reasons. And then finally I got brought back in to find out that the relationship had rekindled and it had gotten worse and it escalated. And now I find out that they're filing for divorce because there is unfaithfulness and they cannot live in this relationship. And I, I'm standing here watching this unfold and, and I love these people know them and I've known them for years and I've been a part of their life in close ways and I just you want to stop and you want to say you, you don't know what's going on here and you read these scriptures and you say you can't leave you can't divorce 
It's not what Jesus says and they say, I, this is the person I love. I want to be with the person I love. Doesn't God want me to be with the person I love? And see, there's the religion that says, I need to find the rules that best fit what I want to do. Well, Jesus knows what's best for us, and you need to be submitted to what he wants. And so, if you've separated, there are no grounds for divorce. And you want to be married, you must be reconciled to your spouse in this context here. We're going to talk about other contexts in just a bit. Verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 7 says, To the rest I say this, I not the Lord. In other words, there is nothing specific that Jesus taught on this, but this is something I am teaching on this. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And so the Corinthians, again, now that I've become a Christian, won't being married to this non-Christian defile me? Won't they hinder my life with the Lord? If I'm married to this person, it would be better to be not married to this unbelieving person so that I can go after and serve God in just a closer way, you know, that I could be a part of them in such a way. But there's actually a unique thing that's taking place where the opposite is taking place. Instead of you being defiled, you actually can sanctify or set apart that unbelieving spouse. In other words, the grace of God is closer to them because of you in their lives. And the same is true even for their children. There is this ability to have this connection with them and you have the ability to make that difference in their lives. It goes on in verse 17. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in the churches. When a man already circumcised, was a man already circumcised when he was called, he should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called, he should not be, uh, be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation that God called him. In other words, Paul is saying... 
Stay where you are. If people are saying, well, I was married to a non-believer, I need to leave. Well, I was circumcised, I need to be, or I wasn't circumcised, I should become circumcised. I, I, I want to change my, my situation as far as my lifestyle, whether I'm a slave, whether I'm free, whether I was married to a non-Christian, whether I was not circumcised. And Paul's saying, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. Stay where you are. Just settle down and honor God in your life right now. You see, we all have this feeling that if I wasn't tied down to this person, I could serve God more easily. It's easy to come up with those conclusions. You know, man, if I didn't have to deal with the circumstance, I could really serve God. I I remember recently hearing a, a, a man say, you know what? It's been great. I can really seek after God since I don't have a job. And I remember thinking, well, 1 Timothy 5.8 says that if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. I don't know how that quiet time looks for you, but, you know, that's not really a, a good thing. You know, but it's so easy to serve God when I don't have to work and I don't have to provide for my family. Well, I, I think you need to do what your responsibilities are. Oh, it'd be so easy to serve God if my husband was a Christian, but he's not. So I, I think it would be better to get closer to God and leave him. And Paul says, no, you can't. You've been joined together. You need to stay where you are and you need to glorify God where you're at. You need to make the most of the situation so that you can serve the God where you want. This is what God desires for you. We all have or can have the idea that the grass is greener mentality. You know, well, if I was over here, it would be better. You know, and that's what happened in this situation with my friends. This person is showing me the affection and attention that I want. I like being with them more than I like being with you. And I feel better when I'm with them than when I'm with you. And it's no longer about how does God want to be glorified in my marriage. It's a matter of you owe me. And it affects the heart and soul. And it's devastating. It's devastating. Verse 39 and 40. Because the other portions we talked about were dealing with the singleness that we talked about last week. In verse 39 it says, A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I do have the Spirit of God. And so... Paul is now saying that if a person, you know, is married and her husband dies, she's free to marry someone else. Don't get any ideas. Um, Have you seen forensic files? They'll find you. You're free. And then Paul says, you know, but I think it'd be good if you were single because you could serve God more easily. That's just what I'm thinking. But if you do marry, it has to be someone who is in the Lord. You're free if they die. And, you know, all these things that are here are pretty clear, but how do we live this out in a culture where you can buy a divorce for under $100? 
where you can pursue a spouse like you would a car, where you can make changes, where you can feel like you, I want to get an upgrade, I, I want to do something else, and it's so easy. How, how do we deal with this? What does the application look like in our lives? See, marriage honors God because He put it together. He is what makes it work right. And so what we need to do, husbands on your knees, you need to ask, how can I love my wife as you loved your church? What does that look like to me? Where am I falling short in that? Where are the areas where I need to step it up? Because if I step it up, I will glorify you who put me in this place that joined me together. If I will honor you, it will benefit this marriage. If I will take the freedom that I have and put it into practice here, it will be a benefit. Or if the wife, if she gets on her knees and prays and says, Lord, how can I honor my husband? Help him to, to know that I am behind him, I am supporting him, that I want to be a strength for him. If you invest in that, then you are going to bring strength to your marriage. But our questions always arise almost immediately. But what if they don't respond? The contractual aspect of this comes back in. What if they don't do their part? The psalmist says, those who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. If you do what you're supposed to do, God will honor you. God will honor what you do if you are faithful to him. If they are not faithful, you still have done the right thing. I, I remember talking to this one young man who was going through a divorce and his wife was unfaithful to him and he was just struggling. Well, what should I do? How should I deal with this if I'm, I'm in this situation? I, I want to lash out. I want to bring, you know, just devastation as I'm feeling devastated and being able to say, you know what? If you have been faithful, if you've done what you're supposed to do, then you are not ashamed. You have a right to stand up and say, I did my part. They were the ones who didn't do their part. The shame doesn't fall on you. It falls on them. And you can move forward in your life and still have a good life. They are going to bear the consequences of their choices. And we all do. Do what you're supposed to do. And pray that it would be a benefit and honor Christ. Now we have to touch on the what ifs. And there's a thousand of them. And I know circumstances in here. I know some of you who have been divorced and some of your circumstances. What if there's abandonment? What if the husband leaves? What if he stops providing for the family? I know of one situation where the husband wouldn't be home and what ended up doing is gambling their money away, their savings, gambled away their cars, gambled away their homes where now she was left without a car, without a home, and three children. What, what do you do in those situations? What about abandonment in, in the intimate areas 
What if they're no longer involved in, with us sexually, where I no longer am able to have intimacy because they've abandoned that area of my life? What, what, what are my grounds there? What do I have to do? What if there's physical abuse? What if they are being physically abusive towards me? And there are a thousand situations like that, and I can't just get a blanket and throw it over all of them. That's why we need to be involved in community, why you have to have dialogue, where we have to talk about the options that are there, the situations. That's why you want to be plugged in to a group of people who know who you are, who know what's going on, who are able to, again, have counsel with you. And you don't have to come here condemned and downcast because people know your situation. We all are in need of forgiveness. This is the place where you come to get help. This is the church that is supposed to care for one another and supposed to help one another. But what starts happening is I start feeling betrayed by this person and I start distancing myself and I don't want to talk about it because I'm embarrassed that my marriage isn't good because I saw the videos and I read the books and I know all the smiles that everyone else has at church and I smile too but inside I'm dying and you don't know what's going on and so I shut it up and I stuff it down and I don't care I don't care and pretty soon something happens someone else comes along and things explode why because you never dealt with the problem you buried it you didn't deal with community you didn't address the issues and so they festered and they became malignant and they started contaminating who you were and your heart and the fact that God wants to still be glorified in your marriage and I can't just throw you an answer out for all these questions. Sometimes you have to get the police involved if there's physical abuse. Sometimes there has to be involvement in those kinds of areas so that these things do not take place. There has to be protection for the children because God cares about them and wants that home to have that structure and safety. But it depends on so many things. The bigger question is, is this becoming a religious situation? Is this something where you feel, I can't leave, I'm just stuck here? The Bible says there's no divorce. I love my husband, but I really don't like him. I'm not going to leave my wife, but I don't feel close to her. And that happens in marriages, and that's not what God's design is. And we think that the struggles that we go through are difficult. They're hard for us, and we think that, therefore, God doesn't want us in this, or we stop and don't engage in it. But you see, when we fail, we forgive. When we fight, we reconcile. When we sin, we repent. What if I was married before, and I know I left, and the circumstances weren't good. I wasn't justified. You know, I was wrong and I left, but now I'm remarried. Should I divorce my new wife to go reconcile my old wife? And if she's married, does she divorce? Now you got divorce happening all over the place. Like, no. Okay. Stop. Where you are now, if you've done something wrong, repent. And if you think, well, I got away with it and maybe that's what I can do. I can just throw the, the grace card and God will forgive me. I'll get out of this marriage. You're on dangerous ground. The voice of Christ is saying, this is my will for you. And you're saying, I don't care about your will. This is what I want to do. And it's dangerous ground. 
you're in danger of becoming like the Pharisees and making your religion, your Christianity, just that, a religion. I found a loophole to do what I want. He is not Lord of your life. He is just your therapist. And it's dangerous because a therapist has no power to change. He is no help to you when you're needing it. There is no ability for him to work in your life unless he is your savior, unless he's your Lord. And if we allow our marriages to come to this religious state where it's just a matter of I'm stuck here and not being something that I want to honor God here where I'm at, we're going to be miserable. But you see, my kids have seen my wife and I fight. We've had some doozies. They've seen our sins. But they've seen the grace of God hold us together through them all. Because you are going to struggle, but there is something that holds you even through the struggles. And I got to tell you, I am so thankful for my wife. In the 26 years that we've married, been married, I never thought it would be this good. I had no idea how much I would care about her and need her. She is so important to me. And why? Has it always been easy? Gosh, no. We went through years of just very, very hard times. We struggled, but you know what? We knew what God had called us to do in this marriage, and God is faithful. Even when our faith falters, He is faithful. God is jealous for us. He's wanting to be closer to us, even through our marriage. And in closing, just to deal with some of the things, if you were in a marriage and there were circumstances, maybe there was abuse, maybe there was abandonment, I don't know all the circumstances. I'm not saying that it is always wrong. But I am saying it is never good. Never. And we need to guard our marriages and the way you guard your marriages by guarding your own heart. You know, it's ironic that two days ago, my friend tells me that they're moving forward and filing with the divorces. I'm sitting here studying this and I'm looking at the devastation and I'm on the phone and I'm counseling and I'm talking for hours as they just pour out and are weeping and are just broken hearted and dealing with children and dealing with circumstances and I'm thinking oh God this is awful this is awful this is going to cause scars this is going to stop you from doing work in their lives there is a disobedience here that is going to cost so so much God hates divorce. 
And we need to understand that. And I understand that circumstances like this one come up where you have to say, I cannot live in a relationship where they're going to glue themselves to someone else and, and not be with me. This can't continue. There are times when I cannot live in a relationship. If they're going to be abusive to my children, they need to go to jail. I can't continue like this. There's going to be situations that come up that require specific attention. I understand that. But understand the heart of God with marriage. It is meant to honor him. And you guys, this has been just the hardest week to go through. To read about what God wants and to see what happens with people who are following Jesus when they do something that they shouldn't with the freedom that they have. Guard your hearts. It is the wellspring of life. And if you're not careful, you will fall into this. And, you know, you look at, well, what's the circumstances? What led up to this? You hear about people, well, you know, they, they hooked back up with an old flame back on Facebook. Facebook is evil. No, it's the heart that's evil. Because you can find it through a text. You can find it through the telephone. You can find it through encountering them at the grocery store. Don't go to grocery stores. They're evil. It's our hearts that we need to guard. It's our hearts. And our marriages, if you are married, invest yourself in it that it would honor God. Because you don't want the tearing. You don't want it. It affects not only you, not only the other person, it affects your friends, those who are close to both of you. Now what's going on, it affects your ability in ministry. It affects your children. It affects your families. There are hundreds of people who are going to be affected. We need to recognize these things. Let's, Let's pray. God, I pray for the marriages that are here. I pray for those who are struggling. Lord, this is a hard thing to do, but it is a worthwhile thing to do, to invest ourselves in our marriages that it might honor you. And Lord, I pray for those who are married to a spouse who is disengaged, who is not a part of this, who is not caring, who is not willing to invest. I pray, Lord, by the faithfulness of of your children that you would, who knows, maybe save them, maybe bring them around. But in the meantime, Lord, this life is short and we desire to honor you with our lives. Help us to move forward. Help, I pray you would strengthen those who are in hardship, Lord. Those who are struggling. Maybe there has been unfaithfulness, Lord. Maybe there is lack of communication. Maybe there is lack of intimacy. Whatever the reasons, Lord, I pray that you would spark conversation. And the conversation would not be a religious one of what can we do, what can't we do. But it would be a relational one of what do you want to do within us. Jesus, how do you want to use our marriage to bring glory to you? How do you want to use our marriage to bring glory to our children, to bring a protection for them, to be an instruction and insight to them? God, may we be submitted to you and allow you to change us to honor you. I just pray you have mercy on us. I lift up my friends, God. I lift up those who I know are going through divorces. Those who have been through divorces and are still are torn and are struggling and sting from the pain. Lord, I pray you would bring healing. 
I pray you'd bring reconciliation, Lord. I pray you'd bring conviction. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. Be our God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.